Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good deal. Welcome to winter break. I got up today. It was 18 and there was snow on my truck. I thought, Indiana's broken. Because where I'm from, it snows in the winter and it rains in the spring. And in Indiana, it rains all winter and then it snows in the spring. It's not right. Well, thank you for coming. I'm excited to spend the morning with you. Uh, for those of you that uh, don't know who I am, my name is Craig. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Shelbyville Community Church, and I'm really, really grateful that you guys are here with us this morning. So whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thanks for coming and spending your morning with us. Now, over the last couple of months, we have been working our way through a sermon that Jesus taught called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is regarded to be one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And uh, so for the last several months, we've been going through it, right? And that starts in Matthew chapter 5. And so uh, this morning, we're really going to dig into Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so we're about a third of the way through this sermon. Now, what's kind of wild is this sermon is regarded as one of the best ever preached, but it's actually one of five different sermons found in the book of Matthew, all right? And so Matthew has more instructional discipleship material from Jesus than any other book of the Bible. Matthew is full of teachings from Jesus on what it means to be a disciple, live as a disciple, operate as a disciple, be on mission as a disciple. In fact, the end of Matthew ends with something called the Great Commission, all right, so uh, I'm going to read through this real quick. Uh, at this point in the book of Matthew, this is the very, 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 very end, right? Jesus uh, was arrested. He was crucified. He died. He was buried, and he is risen from the dead. And so he has uh, called his disciples to come and meet with him in Galilee, and he is going to give them one last command or sending uh, before he returns to heaven. And so this is what is referred to as uh, the... Uh, Wow, words are escaping me. Great commission. This is in Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the disciples uh, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you till the end of the age. Now, in this commission, in this command, in this last uh, sending of his disciples, he says there's three things I'm calling you to do. The first is make disciples. The second is baptize them. And the third is teach them. All right, so before Jesus goes up to heaven, he says, man, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize them, and I want you to teach them. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus didn't ask them to go and do something that he hadn't been preparing them to do. And so this is what we see in the book of Matthew. We see Jesus talk about this coming kingdom, and he talks about who this kingdom is for, what this kingdom is like, how you're going to live in this kingdom. And at the very end of the book, he says, all right, you watched me do it. You were with me when we did it, and now it's your turn. Let's go. And so this sermon is found in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. But I'd like to jump in a little before we get into this message and just looking at what took place. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus show up and announce 
what he is here to do, what he is all about. And so in Matthew 4, 17, he announces his mission. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? This is why Jesus is here. And directly after making this kind of announcement, we see him go and call his disciples. Right? So he goes and he finds some of them and he says, hey, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? This is the definition of a disciple. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This means you are following Jesus. You're being changed by Jesus, and you're on mission for Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus shares what he's here for, and then he recruits his team. And after this, it says that he goes on a ministry tour throughout Galilee, right? This was a region. And so uh, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness around the people, right? So before we even get into this sermon, Jesus has shared, man, the kingdom is here, repent. He calls his disciples. He calls the ones that are going to be doing the ministry with him. And then he says, this is what we're doing, right? We're going to go, we're going to preach, we're going to teach, we're going to heal. We're going to go spend time with people. And now we get into chapter 5. We get into the beginning of this sermon, all right? And it says that Jesus saw the crowds, right? He's been on this tour of Galilee. He's been uh, teaching. He's been healing people. There are folks coming from all over the place to come and hear this guy teach. They're coming with uh, hopes that he would be able to heal them of whatever sickness or ailment that they might have. And there are crowds surrounding him. So it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. The sermon on the mountain. We're very original in what we call things, right? So Jesus literally goes up a mountain and his disciples, being good disciples, follow him up the mountain. They sit down and Jesus begins to teach. And what's beautiful here is that Jesus teaches his disciples and he teaches the crowds. He teaches the disciples and he teaches the crowds. And so this morning, if you're here and you're saying, man, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. Good news, this teaching is for you. And if you're checking us out and you're like, I don't know what to think of Jesus. I have questions about Jesus. I'm here because my mom made me. The good news is this teaching is for you too. Everywhere that Jesus went, he was intentional with his disciples and he was intentional with the crowds that were interested in him. And so Jesus begins to teach about this kingdom that he has proclaimed. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, over the last couple of months, whenever Pastor Brad and Pastor Daniel have been up here, they've said the kingdom of heaven, right, the Sermon on the Mount, there are two things that they're focused on. You guys know what they are. What are the two things that he's focused on in this sermon? Relationships. What's the other one? Your heart. Relationships and your heart. You see, Jesus is so focused on transformation of the heart because to him, when you get a hold of the heart, everything else comes with it. Right? Proverbs 4.23, it says, from your heart comes the wellspring of life. And Jesus says, you know what? Give me your heart and I'll change you. Give me your heart and I'll change you. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers, 
They're in the crowd. They're hearing what Jesus is saying. And to the the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, they're saying, we are going to behave our way to God. It's through our actions. And when we do enough of those actions, eventually it's going to change who we are. And so they say, we're going to do this from the outside in. And Jesus says, nah, we're going to do this from the inside out. Give me your heart and you will be changed. Repent. That involves the heart for the kingdom is near. And so Jesus begins this sermon. He begins looking at the kingdom of heaven and he says, you want to know who this kingdom is for? Here's a list. Blessed are those who see their spiritual bankruptcy apart from God's grace. Blessed are those who grieve over sin. Blessed are those that are dependent on and in submission to God. Blessed are those who are longing for God. Blessed are those that graciously help other people. Blessed are those that have a clean and pure heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that have been persecuted. Who is this kingdom for? It's for those that have responded with their heart. Jesus then goes on to share some kingdom principles, right? This is what the kingdom is like, right? So here's who it's for, and this is what it's like. In this kingdom, we will be salt to a world in decay, right? Things are falling apart, and we are salt. We are here to preserve what is happening. We are to be salt to a world in decay. We will be light to a world in darkness, People cannot see the hand in front of their face. It is so dark. It is our job to illuminate the world. In this kingdom, we're going to be all about the Bible. All about the scriptures. Why? Because they all point to me. Not only am I giving you the message, but I am the message. In this kingdom, we're going to be all about the scriptures. In this kingdom, we're going to focus on our relationships with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We're going to be focused on other people, maintaining right relationship with other people, loving people, serving people. In this kingdom, it's about our relationships. In this kingdom, holding anger against somebody is as bad as murdering them. In this kingdom... Looking at someone with lust is as bad as an affair. We are to guard our hearts and protect our eyes. Divorce is as serious and should be handled this way, right? It shouldn't be easy for two people, for a guy, to walk away from something that they're committed to. In this kingdom, our yes will mean yes and our no will mean no. In this kingdom, we will go the extra mile for our adversaries. And in this kingdom, we will love our enemies and we will pray for them. And so as we move into chapter 6, Jesus is going to start discussing some kingdom practices, right? This is who the kingdom is for. This is what the kingdom is like. And now we're getting into this is how we're going to operate in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6. This is where we're going to be most of the morning. So if you've got a Bible, open up to that. 
If you've got your phone, if you'll go to insidescc.org, swipe to the right and hit take sermon notes, scriptures in there. You can follow along with the sermon. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in Wisconsin, I learned a little song that says, I got a little light of mine, and I'm going to let it shine. Did you guys learn that here in Indiana? Cool. Your winters are dumb. Your songs are good. (laughs) This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Am I going to hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Jesus, don't do that in public. Hold up, this song that we all know the words to came from the same sermon that we're looking at right now. What's going on here? In Matthew 5, Jesus is talking about being a light to the world. And he's talking about a lamp. He said, man, in your house, you light a lamp. You don't put it under a bowl. No, you put it up high so it can illuminate things in the house. You can see it. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in one chapter, he's saying, let your light shine before others and do good works so they can see it. In the next chapter, he's saying, do not practice acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Is this a contradiction? must be loopy. He was talking for a long time at high elevations on a mountain. No. Jesus is challenging their motives. He's looking at the heart. Right? Where is your heart at? Where are your motives? Why do you do what you do? Because there's a kind of good work that you can do that will bring you praise And there's a kind of good work you can do where the praise will pass over you and go straight to the Father who is in heaven. This is the difference. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. I don't know about you, but when I read the words, be careful in the Bible, my ears perk up. Be careful. This implies that it's easy to do. It's easy to do acts of righteousness in front of other people. Why? So that you get the credit. So that you get the praise. Jesus is saying it's easy. It's easy to do. Be careful. Be careful. Now, What we're talking about specifically today is this first chunk in chapter 6, which is talking about giving. If you keep going in chapter 6, they talk about prayer, and he talks about fasting. These are righteousness. 
These are the, the behaviors, the acts of righteousness that he's talking about, right? Be careful when you give. Be careful when you pray. Be careful when you fast in front of others because your motives can turn on you quickly. Motivation, right? Is this an act of worship or praise to God? Or is this to receive praise from man? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. He goes on to say, when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before, like the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets. Later on in chapter 6, when you pray, don't stand in the synagogues or in the streets for all to see. When you pray, don't be like the Gentiles who keep babbling and babbling. When you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites who disfigure their face so that everybody knows that they're fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting were regular practices for the Jewish people, and they became a way of displaying your faith. How obedient are you to following God? Well, I pray, I give, I fast. And with that came a lot of displays that people would do to try and look holy, right? Today, you can go on Facebook and somebody can run some kind of fundraiser for literally anything and you can see all the names of people that have donated to it. Today, when somebody holds a fundraiser, they write a big check on a massive piece of paper with their name plastered on it and they hand it to the individual that they're giving it to. Why? So they can get the credit. We are giving to this cause, but we want you to know that we were the ones that gave it. You ever been asked to pray at an event or have somebody come up to you and ask for you to pray for them and immediately in your head you're like, mm, what words do I say? And you've got this prayer that you're like mapping out in your head so you sound super holy when it comes out of your mouth. It still happens today, right? Right now we are in a season called Lent. Again, where I grew up in Wisconsin, we have a lot of Catholic churches and a lot of Lutheran churches. Lent was a big deal. You go to restaurants and they aren't cooking meat. What the heck? Well, you can eat fish. That doesn't make sense. I know. But in the Lenten season, people give up certain foods or behaviors as a form of sacrifice leading up to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, right? This is the spiritual practice that is supposed to prepare your heart for what took place when Jesus went to the cross. But what happens is instead of focusing on your heart and what it is you're giving up, instead you're talking about, oh, I gave that up for Lent. Can't have coffee. It's got caffeine. I gave that up for Lent. You end up talking about what you gave up instead of just doing it. Be careful because it's easy to do things for the praise of man. Verse 2. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they will have their reward. All right, now, outside of the temple, you had big old metal boxes. This is where people would go and they would offer their offering to the temple. For us, we have wooden crates from Walmart. 
right? But at that point in time, they had big metal boxes, and you would go and you would take your money and you would drop it in these boxes. Now, uh, at this point in history, Venmo was not a thing. Cash App was not a thing. You could not pay online. There was no uh, text to give. You did not have a debit card and you did not have a checkbook. And so you had metal coins. You had coins. That was your currency. So if you take a coin and you throw it in a big metal box, you're probably going to hear something, correct? Cool, one person agrees. You throw a metal coin in a big metal box, you are going to hear some type of ring or ding. There's going to be some kind of noise. Okay. All right, we're all tracking. Bill Nye the Science Guy's up here, right? So if you have a big old bag of metal coins and you start dumping this in a big metal box, it is going to be very audible, correct? Yeah. So folks would show up and they would just dump their money in so that it made a very loud clang to where everybody that heard that turned and looked. Oh, money bags is dropping his offering. Wow, that's a lot of money. Wow, he must be really holy. Is it possible that they would walk around with somebody blasting a trumpet in front of them? I don't know. I wasn't there. But my guess is this says far more about the ways that people would draw attention to themselves than a literal trumpet. There's something else that sticks out to me in this passage, right? So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets to be applauded by people. Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, when I read this, I see that in the kingdom, kingdom people will be a generous people. Right? Giving is assumed here. You are going to give, you are going to pray, you are going to fast. Verse two, when you give. Verse three, but when you give. Verse four, so that you are giving. Not once did Jesus say, if you give, when you give, if you can afford to give, when it's convenient to give, he says, when you give. Why? Because we've received much. Right? We have received much, which means we are to give much. Giving isn't in question. The motives behind giving are. And this reminds me of another story. It's found in Luke 21. And Jesus is with his disciples, and he's outside the temple. And all of a sudden, he can hear, ching, 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 ching. And everybody looks. And sure enough, there's somebody loading their coins in this giving box. Jesus is watching, and as soon as these folks walk away, this poor little widow walks up with two coins, and she throws them in, and it barely makes a sound. The people before her put in far more money But Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, what she offered was far greater because they offered out of their abundance and she, in her poverty, gave all that she had. 
church giving is not something that's really a question. It's an expectation if you're in the kingdom, that you're going to be generous, that we are going to be a giving people because God has blessed us with much, which means we give much. But our motives matter. They matter. In your acts of righteousness, in your spiritual practices, are the things that you do, are you doing it to get the praise of man? Or are you doing them so others can see what God has done in your life and they can praise him? I think that there's something else that tends to get brushed over in this passage. Right? When you give to the needy, don't blow a trumpet or draw attention to yourself. Now, all throughout the Bible, God calls us to care for the orphan, care for the widow, care for the sick, care for those in jail. He calls us to care for the needy over and over and over again. There was a practice called gleaning where farmers would grow crops and they did not collect all of the crops that they, that they planted. At harvest, they left some out for folks that did not have food to go and collect themselves. We have been called to care for the needy, but our heart and how we care for the needy matters just as much as doing it. You know, if you walk by an individual who is experiencing homelessness, maybe they're sleeping on some cardboard, covered up with whatever blankets they have, and all of a sudden you start yelling for everybody to watch what you are about to do. You know what you just did to that individual? You have robbed them of their dignity. Why? So you can look holy. That's gross. It's really, really gross. We've been called to care for the needy, but the way that we care for the needy matters just as much as actually doing it. When you rob somebody of their dignity, when you rob them of their purpose, you're taking things that God gave them. And helping people is required in the kingdom. But trying to get praise off of it, that's not. Verse 3. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't know if... It's just because I'm from Wisconsin and my body works one way, but when I do something with my right hand, generally I am aware of what happened, right? And so you read this text and you're like, what on earth is this even supposed to mean, right? If I do something with my right hand, how on earth is my left hand not gonna know that it's happening? And really, again, he's coming for the heart. We are to do things in a way where it's so almost mundane, we don't even realize that we're doing it. That's what brings the most honor to God. And so as I'm reading this and I'm thinking through, I'm like, all right, when was there a situation in my life where I have experienced this? 
10-ish years ago, we're coming up on 10 years, September will be 10 years, that my wife and I moved here to Indiana from Wisconsin. 10 years, that's wild. And when I was interviewing for the job of pastor of communications here, uh, I was given a packet with, here's your financial information, right? Here's how much we're going to pay. Here's your benefits, insurance, all of that. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, I'm going to get a raise by moving to Indiana compared to what I was earning when I was working at a camp in northern Wisconsin, okay? My wife is an elementary school teacher. I worked at a camp. She taught third grade on an Indian reservation in northern Wisconsin. So when we came down here, we knew one person in Shelbyville. We were leaving our family. We were leaving everything that we knew to come down here to work at this church and, Lord willing, for my wife to teach here in the school system. And everybody said she will not struggle to find a job. There are so many school openings. There are so many schools. She is going to get a job so quickly. Well, we moved here in September, and your school system starts in August because you're weird. <laughs> and so we show up, and every teaching vacancy that existed had already been filled before we got here. So my wife, who is a licensed teacher in the state of Illinois and in the state of Wisconsin, could not get a teaching job in the state of Indiana until she became a licensed teacher here. So she begins that process. She starts subbing in the schools because nobody knows her. You go to apply for a job, who you know kind of matters, right? Relationships are an important thing. And so we're new. We're from out of state. Some of you call me a transplant and I hate you. Um, <laughs> at least I told you to your face. Um, so she's going through the process to be able to teach here. I'm working here. She's doing what she can, right? She can sub like three days a week without being considered full-time for the school district. The pay is not good. She's making half of what she was making when we were in Wisconsin. Now, the first small group that Taylor and I were in here at Shelbyville Community Church was Financial Peace University. It started two days after we moved here. And uh, so we get in there, and one of the first things they say is, you need to come up with a budget. So sit down and figure out what money's coming in, what money's going out. I haven't been paid yet, and I haven't paid a bill yet. So I don't really know what this is going to look like, because I got no money coming in, and I don't know what is coming out. So we put together a faux budget. And after a couple of weeks, I get my first paycheck. I look at the pay stub, and I'm like, oh, that's not as big as I thought it was going to be. And so with two weeks of experience here, I walked into Scott Brenner's office and I said, this is wrong. And he looked at it and said, no, it's right. As a pastor, you pay your own social security. That's fun to know. So I am now making less money than I was in Wisconsin. Taylor making a heck of a lot less money than she was when we were in Wisconsin. So she starts picking up as many side jobs as she can. She's serving you people ice cream at Cabell's. She's working at the Flat Rock YMCA camp, cooking food in the kitchen. I'm doing side jobs for people here in Shelbyville. We're doing what we can to make ends meet. We got far more money going out than coming in. I'm like, this is uh, not very sustainable, right? In the first five years uh, that we were here, Taylor and myself worked with our high school students. Uh, we were both small group leaders. She ended up going on several years after I was done. And uh, we were about three years into being here, and we were taking high school kids to Tennessee for high adventure camp. 
And I remember uh, sitting down with Taylor and we're like, I don't think there's any way that you cannot stay back and work. Like I just, we aren't going to be able to afford it. And so she stayed back and I was going to go to adventure camp. And uh, I remember looking at our bank account as I was coming to church to leave on that trip. And we had $7 in our checking and our savings. Like we had $7. There was no financial peace in our life. Just letting you know, right? Uh, It was crazy. And what was awesome is leaders that were going on the trip, that was paid for. But all you had to pay for were your meals on the road. And I just remember thinking, I don't even know how we're going to pay for me to eat on the way to Tennessee and on the way back. I get here, we start packing up 15 passenger vans. My office used to be over here. I go over and I'm grabbing some camera equipment. I look and on the floor there's a white envelope that has my name on it. And I pick it up and there's $250 in cash inside of it. No note, I still have no idea who gave it. I know nothing about it, but I do know that in that moment, I opened that envelope and I praised God in a way that I had not in a very, very, very long time. If the motives of the giver were to receive credit, I myself would have given them the praise for their generosity. But because they chose to give in a way where their left hand did not know what their right hand was doing, it allowed me to go straight to God and thank him for his provision. This is what Jesus is talking about. Your heart matters. Motives matter. You are to be a light in a city of darkness. Why? So folks can see what he's doing in your life but you can't take the credit for what he's doing in your life. All you can do is point people to him. Church, the kingdom is near and we get to be a part of it. But that means there are certain kingdom principles and practices that we ourselves need to grow in. And one of them is this very thing, be careful, be careful, be careful, right? I don't provide for myself. God does. Now, you guys don't provide for you. God provides for you. I think one of the biggest switches that got flipped in my brain was the point where I realized that God is so incredibly generous, he actually allows us to be a part of blessing the world, So not only is he generous with stuff, but he's generous in who gets to be a part of the distribution of that stuff. There was never a question on if you give, but there was a question on when you give, what are your motives? That's the heart of what Jesus is getting after here. And he's gonna go on and talk about what's your heart when it comes to praying What's your heart when it comes to fasting? Because all of us have spiritual practices. But what are your motives? Right, our spiritual practices should be on display so that they bring glory to God. Everything that we do should point to the Father who loved us so much he sent his son. Everything that we do should point to the son that loved us enough that he died for us. 
Everything that we do should point to the spirit that leads us and guides us day to day. Everything we do should be pointing to him, not to us. And I don't want to take the credit for what God's doing. I don't want that. So I have to ask, why do you do the things you do? Is it for righteousness or for reputation? Because you can play church really, really well. And I'm telling you this, it's going to get you nowhere. Are you more interested in living out your identity in Christ or projecting an image? How much of your religious activity is motivated by the attention of others? What areas of your life and your faith are you flirting with the approval of others? Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for a weird winter day in March. Thank you that we got to come together today. Thank you that we got to learn from you, that we got to sit under your teaching, that you've given us the book of Matthew so that we could hear your words. Man, what a gift. We pray that we'd never lose sight of that privilege. We pray that all of us would know that the end of Matthew, this great commission that it's for us to, you've called us to go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, that we would baptize them and that we would teach them your commands. Father, I pray today that all of us would do the heart work, that we would look at our motives, that we would look at why we're doing the things that we do. And if we are trying to get praise from our behavior and Instead of pointing people to you, man, I pray that you would call us on it. I pray that the, the call to repent for the kingdom is near, that we would all take it seriously. I pray that we would be kingdom people who take seriously these principles and these practices. That we would give our hearts to you and that we would work on the relationships in our lives, that those are the two things that are key to this whole thing, that you love us and you love other people. I pray that we too would love you and that we would love other people. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.